Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. And today or this morning, we're going to look at just an amazing event that takes place. And, and the event that we're going to be talking about is the transfiguration of the Lord. And uh, in case you don't know what that is, the transfiguration is really the Lord's transformation. And the Greek word for transfiguration is metamorpho. And that is where we get our English word metamorphosis. And what this means is this means a complete change. This means a complete transformation. And I want you to just think about that, meditate on that, on that transformation, because the title of today's message is The Transformation. And we're going to be talking about two subjects today. We're going to talk about the Lord's transformation, and then we're going to be talking about our transformation. And so as we talk first about the Lord's transformation, I do want to share this with you. We're going to see just this amazing event where the Lord pulls off the flesh and reveals himself in a glorified state, and the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed to three men. Just like he revealed himself to Moses, well, here is another occasion that he reveals himself to these three men. Can you imagine? Imagine that. Imagine the Lord revealing himself the way he's going to look throughout eternity. I mean, it must have been just mind blowing to the disciples, right, to just see Jesus as He is. And we know that we're all going to see Him as He is, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. When are we going to see Jesus as He is? Let's think about this, right? Well, one, we're going to see Him as He is for those of us that die, right, that, that are going to heaven. We're going to see the Lord as He is for those of us that have placed our faith in Him. There's also going to be another group that's going to see Him as He is without facing death, and that is those that are raptured, right? And that's an event that we're waiting on. We're waiting on the Lord for Him to, to take His church, to take the believers out. And then there's going to be a third group that's going to see Him as He is, and this third group are those that survive the Great Tribulation, that seven-year wrath that, that will fall upon this world. And so as we think about that, right, we, we know that... The Lord, as He comes in His second coming, that's how, that's how He's going to look. He's going to show us how He's going to appear. And this is what this, is, this portion of Scripture is about. It's, it's revealing to us how He's going to look in His second coming and how He's going to look in the new kingdom as we will see Him as He is. See, a major part of the Bible, I want you to understand, has to do with the second coming of Christ. This is a major focus in the Bible is His second coming. We saw His first coming, right? When He came as a man, He came as a servant, and He died on the cross for our sins so that whoever places their faith in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That was His first coming. Then He's going to come in His second coming. And this second coming that He comes in, He doesn't come in as that, as that humble servant. He's going to come now in wrath. And, uh, and, and to suppose and destroy everybody that doesn't place their faith in Him. But the second coming is extremely crucial when it comes to the Bible. And I want to tell you how important this is. The second coming of Christ is mentioned 1,500 times. Imagine that in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it is 
mentioned over 300 times. So you can see how important this is when it comes to, to the second coming of Christ. And so, as he talks about this, as we go over this, understand one thing is that this is, this is really the, the reason why the Lord brings this up is because He wants to remind and show them how He's going to appear. And He's talking here to His disciples. So let's go ahead and read it, beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 17. And it starts like this. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, His brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already and they did not know him but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. You know, as we look at these verses, as we read these verses, I mean, there is so much that Jesus is revealing to them here, and so much that he is saying. You know, as we look at this, the main focus is, of course, on the Lord's transformation. And that's what we're going to spend our time in. But also, the Lord wants to reveal to all of us about our transformation. You know what? Can As we see the Lord's transformation, can people see the transformation that is in us? And that's how this study is going to be broken down. It's going to be broken down into these two sections. The Lord's transformation and our transformation. So let's read about the Lord's transformation and let's... Once again, read verses 1 and 2. It says there, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So here we have the Lord's transformation. We have here just the event that takes place. And in verse 1, we have here how after six days, Jesus took certain men and then He let them up on a high mountain and then He was transfigured. Off of verse 1 there, there's a few points that I want to talk about. And the first one is the timing of this event. Remember, He was talking to the disciples. He was sharing with the disciples. And, and as He was talking about his, his death and resurrection, He also talked about 
us taking up our cross and following Him. And so six days after those conversations that He had with His disciples, this is exactly what takes place. He takes them up into this mountain. Both Matthew and Mark say that it took six days from the time He had those conversations to the time that He takes them up upon the hill. But I want to share with you because individuals can come up to you and say, hey, there's a discrepancy here in the Bible. And I bring this up to you so that you can know how to respond and so that you can also have an understanding of it so that you can respond appropriately. When we look at Luke chapter 9, 28, in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, it shares with us not six days as Matthew and Mark state, but actually in there it says there that it was about eight days. Okay? So there's a discrepancy. I think you would all agree. Six days to eight days, those aren't exactly the same thing. But when you look at what Mark and Matthew state, and the reason I share this with you is so that you know how to respond. Matthew and Mark actually give you an exact day count. They say that it was six days. But when you look at Luke's account, Luke actually says that it was about eight days. So he's giving you an estimation. He's not, he didn't really number them appropriately. He says it's about eight days. Remember, he's, he's writing a recollection of what he remembers. So he's saying it's about eight days. He's not giving you an exact count. He's telling you it's about eight days. I believe that Luke also uses to symbolically reveal something to us. Because when you look at the number eight, I don't know if many of you know the meaning of the number eight, because we know that the number six is the number of man. The number seven is the number of perfection or completion. The number eight symbolizes a resurrection and a new beginning. And so when we look at this, right, as he says it's about eight days, I'm sure that he's referencing the fact that, you know what, we have a new beginning here now, right? There's going to be a new beginning as, as Jesus, as we see him as he is, there's a resurrection that's going to be taking place as he's speaking to the, as we're going to see that he speaks about his death and resurrection. And so we have here this, this new beginning that's going to happen with the Lord as we spend eternity with him when he comes a second time. As we move on from that, let's look at the three men that were with him. Jesus took three men. He took Peter, James, and John. These men were with Jesus on several occasions. These men spent some time with Jesus. These men were considered part of the inner circle with Jesus. Not that he didn't love the other apostles or the other disciples, but there were certain men that that were with him too to basically be eyewitnesses to the things that were taking place so that they can communicate that with others. And he chose these three so that they can see what was happening here. And they would see the Lord in His glorified state. I love the timing of this because the timing of this is so critical. As we shared with you prior to this, six days prior, remember Jesus is asking His disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, you know what, you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the other prophets. But what does Peter say as he, as he begins to ask them, who do you say that I am? And then Peter responds that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That reveals, that statement revealed the faith of Peter. 
It revealed the fact that Peter had this revelation. He knew who Jesus was. Would it have meant anything if he would have saw and made that? Re- I'm sorry, if he would have given that response prior to his view of the transfiguration of Jesus. Think about that, right? Of course, if they would have, if Jesus would have said, "Who do you say that I am?" All three of these would have said, "Hey, you're the Lord. You're the Son of the Living God." I mean, we saw your glorified state. But Peter said this prior to him seeing this. So, of course, that means a lot more. And so, as we see here, Peter responded appropriately. And the other thing that I want to talk about is the location, just so you guys know. The location here is, is, uh, is in a high mountain. We don't know which high mountain it is. No one really knows. Jesus didn't give us what high mountain it is. But when you look at the mountain that is closest to Caesarea Philippi, it is Mount Hermon. So many believe that it would be the mountain of Mount Hermon. And for those of us that are going to go to Israel, we're going to see this. And we're going to see this location and, and exactly where all these things were taking place. But here, a reminder, what does Jesus do immediately when he takes him into the high mountain? He removes his flesh and he allows him to see him in a glorified state. I'm not talking about physically removing his, his flesh because the Bible tells us that he was transfigured. In other words, there was a metamorphosis that went on. There was a complete change. There was a complete transformation that took place in Jesus. Can you believe this? I mean, to be transformed into His glorified state that where somebody is looking at Jesus, they will see Jesus exactly as He is. The way the Lord is right now in heaven, this is how the disciples saw Him. Peter, James, and John. I mean, how mind-blowing would this have been? Just to see this taking place, right? And I want to point out to you four things here regarding the disciples and how they saw Jesus. The transformation happened before their eyes. They saw this, right? It was a metamorphosis. It was a complete change. A transformation from His flesh into now His divine nature. They saw Jesus for who He was. Imagine that. They saw Jesus for who He was. Thirdly, they can acknowledge that He was like no other human, right? They were able to acknowledge that. You know what? He is not like any other human. I cannot transform myself into this divine nature. There's no way. I'm not divine. And that's the fourth point. That they were able to say without a doubt that Jesus, in fact, was divine. And this is what's so amazing about this, right? And, and, and how do we know this? Because when we look at the Bible... In there in verse 2, it tells us that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And not only does Matthew tell us this, but look at what Mark tells us in Mark chapter 9 verse 3. It says, Mark states that his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten. In other words, he, they said, he said that his, white be, his clothes became so white that no Clorox or no washer can ever make it that white. That's how it was. Imagine that. It was just shining. It was just white. It was just amazing, the color and, and how it was just glowing. Luke tells us in Luke 9.29 that it tells us that the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white 
and glistening. So as you can see, without a doubt there, that Jesus was in fact transfigured. There was a metamorphosis that happened there. And that's what that word means. That transfigured word means in the Greek, metamorphosis, as I mentioned to you earlier. A complete change, a complete transformation. I know that there's other, there's other scriptures, and I bring this up to you so that you can just understand exactly what is transpiring here. Because see, there was a previous time to this where Jesus said in Exodus 33 verse 20, as He was speaking to Moses, that no one could see His face and live. But yet you have these men here, right, that were able to see His face and live. And you have Ezekiel and Isaiah. You have John when he saw the vision of heaven. And the Lord, you, you saw the same thing with Paul. He, did, he saw the same thing, but they were able to live. So somehow, I want you to understand is that Jesus is able to do this, right? Where He is able to allow men to see Him for who He is and to be able to tolerate them without dying, able to live. And so Jesus is, I just want you to understand the magnitude of what and how He revealed Himself to people. When you look at verse 3, as we move on, in verse 3 it says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Him. So imagine that. Imagine when Jesus is completely transfigured. We have that complete metamorphosis, that complete change, that all of a sudden there appears two other men. And this, these men were Moses and Elijah. And when they appeared to Him, these men, that they saw them talking to Jesus. Imagine that. They were talking to Jesus and and imagine just being a part of that, right? To see these men. Remember, Moses and Elijah had died and yet they came from the dead, right? In their in their spiritual, you know what, souls and spirits there and and as you see them, right, they're talking to Jesus. What an amazing sight that would have been, right? To see these men talking to Jesus. And we wonder to ourselves, what would they be saying? I mean, does that go through your mind? I know it would go through my mind, right? What are they talking about? Just to, you know what, I'm sure their eyes were fixed. They're trying to listen to their conversations. While Luke gives us the insight as to what they're talking about. In Luke 9.31, Luke tells us that they talked about the cross. They talked about what was going to take place in Jerusalem. They were, gonna, they were talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. They were going to speak on these. They were speaking on these things. They were talking about it. Jesus was probably letting them know that you know what? I, guess what? I'm going to be. I'm going to be suffering as I've been called and I've been sent to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to take upon this punishment. I'm going to go to the cross. And guess what? In three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. It's going to be amazing for the world to see. Right? I could assume he's probably saying some things like this. Maybe different. Maybe in a in a more reverent way. Whatever it may be. But he was having these conversations. I want to give you some things to think about. Because these are important when it comes to, to questions that you may have had. I want to give you a couple of points on Moses and Elijah, just to meditate on these. When we think about Moses and Elijah, why are these two the two that are there? Think about that. Why would 
He could have chosen Daniel. He could have chosen King David. He could have chosen, you know what, Abraham, Father Abraham. He could have chosen any of these men to be side by side with him. But why would he choose Moses and Elijah? The first reason I want to give you is this. When it comes to the law and the prophets, they point and are fulfilled by Christ Himself. Remember that. Who represents the law? Moses. Who represents the prophets? Elijah. Luke 24, 27 says, it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's one reason. There's another reason, and I truly believe that this has a lot to do with what we were talking about, the second kingdom. Because when we look at Matthew 16, verse 28, it says, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death, right? Meaning they're going to see Jesus in His glorified state before they die. They shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So you have here really just a picture, a symbolic picture of Jesus in the second kingdom. And I want to share this with you as we talk about symbolism. Who does Moses represent? Moses will represent those that have died and those that will be in the second kingdom. When we talk about Elijah, think about Elijah. Did Elijah ever die on earth? Remember, Elijah was taken up in a chariot into heaven, right? So who would Elijah represent? The raptured saints. Think about that. Those that are going to be in the second kingdom. And then also, when we think about the disciples, who do the disciples represent as they are all present there? The Jews, right? That would also be in the second kingdom. Remember, when Jesus Christ comes back, the Jews are going to recognize Him for they're going to see Jesus right in His glorified state, but they're also going to see the scars that He had on Him. The scars that were on the cross. Zechariah tells us that. And so they're going to be also in the second kingdom. And then you may say, well, what about the Gentiles? Well, the only answer regarding the Gentiles comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 37, where it says that there was a great multitude that met him immediately after the, 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 the mountain experience. And so as we move on in, in verse 4, we see here also, when it comes to verse 4, is that, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. There was one other point that I forgot to mention, and this is very important. I, as we look at Moses and Elijah, have you ever wondered whether you will recognize those believers that you knew were believers, or maybe some that will even surprise you that they're in heaven? Did you ever wonder if you will recognize them in heaven? What we have here is a testament that you will recognize them. Why? Because they were able to recognize Moses and Elijah. The disciples were able to say, hey, guess what? That's Moses and Elijah. And so this is only proof that you will be able to recognize those that are in heaven. And not only do we have the proof here, but we also have the proof when Jesus spoke. Remember in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, where he talked about Lazarus and Abraham that both had passed away and yet they were recognizable. They were addressing each other by name. 
And so again, just the proof that, that these men, that as we are in heaven and those loved ones that have passed away when we get there, they will recognize us and we will recognize them. Now let's move on to verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, what Peter is saying, Lord, it is great that we're here. It is good that we're here. Now that we're here, we're able to see you, Moses, and Elijah. And based on this, on the fact that we're able to see you, now we're going to do three tabernacles. We're going to do three memorials. We're going to do one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And immediately as he says this, someone interrupts him. Look at verse 5. It says, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Before we talk about why the interruption, I want to share with you what happened, what's, to, what's taking place here. It says in verse 5 that while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. I want you to know this cloud. Many times when we think of clouds, what do we think of a white cloud, right? I want you to know that this cloud that overshadowed them, remember, there's Moses, Jesus, Elijah, right? And then you have the disciples and all of a sudden you have a cloud that overshadows them. This cloud that overshadowed them was just not a normal white cloud. When you look at the Greek word for the word bright, it means full of light. So in other words, the cloud that came around them, that overshadowed them, was a cloud that was full of light. So you can imagine how amazing this would have been. First of all, God, uh, Jesus is in His glorified state. Moses and Elijah have are, are those that have died, they're there talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden this cloud that is full of light overshadows them. And then a voice comes from the cloud, and it says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Similar to the voice or to the words that were spoken at the Lord's baptism in Matthew 3, verse 17. But what's key to all of this is what the Lord says after that. Hear Him. Hear Him. He didn't say that when He talked about... He didn't say that at the Lord's baptism, but He says that here. Why would He say that here? Remember what Peter was saying. What was Peter saying? Lord, we're going to make you a tabernacle. We're going to make one for Moses and one for Elijah. God the Father wanted to make sure that they understood that you're not supposed to listen to Moses and Elijah. The one that matters, the one that speaks is my son and that's who you follow. See, this was key, right? I mean, he wanted to make sure that they understood that, you know what, that Peter, you know what, you got it wrong. I need to interrupt you. I don't want you making tabernacles or memorials for Moses and Elijah. You're not supposed to worship them. The one that you're supposed to worship is Jesus Christ Himself. And that's why He interrupted. I don't know if you ever caught that, but that's what the Lord is doing here. That's what God the Father is doing. He's interrupting Peter and He's telling Peter, you got it wrong, Peter. It's only Jesus. That's who you listen to. That's who you hear. And then we go to verse 6. It says, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. Imagine that. 
I mean, what would we do, right? I mean, this is just amazing. This is an amazing sight. Jesus, Moses, Elijah, then this bright cloud and then this voice. They couldn't take it anymore. They were overwhelmed. And so what do they do? They fall on their faces. They close their eyes. They fall on their faces. And it says that they were afraid. And so immediately, look at how, what Jesus does, right? Again, always whenever there's fear, He's always there. You know what? I'm here with you. You know what? I don't give you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of sound mind. In verse 7, Jesus says this. Jesus does this, I should say. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Imagine that, Jesus again bringing comfort. And as He brings comfort to them, what does He do after that? You know what? He... You know what, they, they, raise, they, they get up and as they are comforted, they, they look up as they open their eyes, right? And they only see Jesus there. And as they only see Jesus there, Jesus tells them, okay, it's time to come down the hill. It's time to go back down. But one thing I don't want you to do is, I don't want you to share this with no one. I want you to keep it to yourselves. Why did He want this? Remember before, they wanted to make Jesus their King. Remember when He was healing all the people, when He fed those over 5,000, 20 to 25,000 people. They were already, you know what, wanting to make Jesus their king. And if Jesus, imagine this, if, he would, if they would have shared it with others and saying, hey, you know what, Jesus showed us His glorified state, then for sure they would want to make Jesus their king, right? But His time, it wasn't the timing. The timing wasn't perfect. He had to die. He had to what? Rise from the dead. And so here, of course, He tells them, don't say anything. Wait until I've risen from the dead. And this is exactly what Peter does. When we look at the letter from Peter, remember the second letter that Peter wrote. He talks about this very event. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, it says, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses. Imagine that. Peter is saying, I saw Him. I was an eyewitness of His majesty. I saw Him in His majestic state. I saw Him transformed. I saw the metamorphosis. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Peter is talking about this very event. And so, verse 10 goes on to say, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to him, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that He spoke to them of John the Baptist. The disciples were curious about one thing, right? They were curious because they said the scribes, those that are the experts of the law, those that study the Word of God, those that know it, right? They're the teachers of it. They're saying that Elijah must first come to restore. Store all things. 
And these scribes were actually accurate in what they were saying. Because when you look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says there, Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So they knew the scriptures, right? They knew them here. They didn't know them here, but they knew them here. And there's a big difference between knowing them here and knowing them here. And so, of course, they didn't accept Jesus for who He was. They didn't accept His miracles. They didn't accept His teachings. They said, you know what? No, we're rejecting Him. But Jesus says, you know what? Elijah will indeed come first. And just so you know, Elijah has already come. And so they're a little confused. And and so they're like, what do you mean by that? And so Jesus, as they're thinking about this, Jesus explains that He already came. They rejected Him. Remember, they rejected Him just like they're going to reject me. And what are they going to do to me? They're going to do the same thing. They're going to, they're going to persecute me as they persecuted the other, which is John the Baptist. Do you remember when Jesus, or the angel appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist? Look at what He told them. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he says, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So here, Jesus is saying, you know what? Elijah already came. It was John the Baptist that came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But the scriptures reveal that, you know what? He will come. If, if they would accept it, think of this, and I want to share this with you. If these people would have all accepted the message from John the Baptist, then that would have been the only coming that Jesus would have had to do, right? But he did, they didn't. And so we have here, again, that Elijah will come. He's saying, indeed, Elijah is coming first. Elijah will come. He's going to come before the second coming and and as we look at that, will it be in the spirit of Elijah? Will it be Elijah himself? We'll find out. Well, we won't find out. We'll be in heaven, right? We'll be the raptured saints. But I pray that nobody's here to find out. But we'll see it from heaven above. And as we talked about the Lord's transformation, I want to move to the second portion. The second section of our message. And I shared with you, the first part was the Lord's transformation the second part is our transformation. As Jesus made His transformation evident for everyone to see, or for the three disciples to see, for us as Christians, is your transformation evident amongst other people? Think of it this way. If somebody was to see you, if somebody that knew you before Christ, right, before you place your faith and surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, if someone saw you, would they say, man, you know what? You're different. You've changed. There's something different about you. You know what? You don't talk the same. You don't act the same. You're just different. See, it is important that People see a difference in us. There has to be a transformation in you. If there is no transformation, I want you to know this. Then your faith and your salvation is in question. Understand this. I want to give you 
What Jesus says to those that are in Christ, what's supposed to take place in you? From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is our signature verse. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. So that means that, you know what? Old things pass away. Old behavior passes away. You are new now. You're a new creation. See, you're not doing what you used to do. See, just like the metamorphosis of a butterfly, right? The old is dead and the new is born. Is the old dead in you? If he's not dead in you, then guess what? Then there's no then you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. You haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Your salvation is questionable. Remember what I shared with you? I want to remind you regarding Jesus. Remember I shared with you about the disciples. The disciples saw the transformation before their eyes. How the disciples saw Jesus for who He was. How the disciples were able to acknowledge that He was not like any other human. How the disciples were able to say without a doubt that He was divine. I want you to meditate on this. When people see you, can they say there's something different? Can they see something different? Can they say that, you know what? You're different. You're not like the rest of the people in this world. Can they say that, you know what? You now are behaving godly. See, there must be an evidence of change. There must be change, right? And what really reveals the changes in us? I'm going to give you three things that immediately start to change. If you have placed your faith and you've truly surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ, then your language immediately starts to change. Okay? Your language. It immediately starts to change. You start now having a conviction when you say things that you shouldn't be saying. If there's no conviction, then believe me, then there is no salvation. There is no faith. The other thing that starts to change is your thoughts. Your thoughts about things. Yeah, I'm not talking about all of a sudden evil thoughts go into your mind and things like this happen. The enemy injects them in our mind. How he does that, I have no idea, but he does them. And I'm not talking about that, but do you have a conviction when you have evil thoughts? Are you immediately saying, Lord, you know what? Help me with these thoughts. Holding these thoughts captive. Replacing them with things that are true, things that are good. What also starts to change in you? Your actions. How you behave begins to change in you. If there's no change in you, then guess what? There is no change in you. See, if we start thinking, acting, and speaking like our BC days and Something's wrong. You're being fooled by the enemy. You're thinking that you're saved and that you have, you know what, that your faith is true. And I'm not talking about the slipping and tripping, right? When you say something wrong, it's not your normal language and, oh man, I said something I used to say. How many of you have ever done that? And then you regret it and you're like, oh, why did I say that? 
And I'm not talking about those, those ungodly thoughts as that slip into your mind, you know, and then, but you know what, but there has to be a conviction when you have that, right? Or, or when you do something, you know, you slipped and you tripped and you weren't planning it and all of a sudden you did it. See, there has to be a conviction in you. If there is no conviction, because see, before you became believers, how many of us would, I mean, how many of us had just this mouth, right? This, these words that were just trash. How many of you were great trash speakers? I think a lot of us, right? You know, our actions, we never had second thoughts. We didn't care what we did. We were just, yeah, man, I can't wait to do that. And thinking of all these things in your mind as to what you want to do. And I want you to understand this, is that many people will tell you this, hey, but I'm a work in progress, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? That's what the Bible says, right? It says that, you know, be confident of this. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Many people will say that, hey, I'm a work in progress. Guess what? For you to be a work in progress, there must be a work that started in you. If there is no work and you're just doing what you used to do, then guess what? The work never started in you. And this is what we got to think about. This is why we, we, we talk about this transformation. Because see, it's, it's the Lord that wants to reveal to us, is there truly a transformation going on in you? If there isn't, then it's time to make things right. It's time to truly surrender your hearts to Jesus Christ. It's time to say, you know what, Lord, I do come to you by faith. And I'm surrendered. I'm truly believing in who you are. And if you truly believe this, if you have a fear of the Lord, right? If you have a, a surrender to the Lord, you're going to do as He says. I want to give you some scriptures that talk about those that are truly transformed. The first one is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So in other words, there is a transformation that must be taking place in you because you are being transformed from glory to glory. And if you're not, stop fooling yourself. It's time to make things right with the Lord. And to allow His work to, be, to begin in you. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you are conforming to the world, if you're not allowing the Word of God, the Spirit Himself, to transform you, then guess what? You're not that living sacrifice. You're not, you know what, you're not as the Lord would want you to be. You're not that transformation, that, that metamorphosis that, he's, that we're talking about now. And look at what he talks about speaking, right? About talking, about our mouth, our evil speaking. He says in Ephesians 4.31, To the believers, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. If you're still talking the way you used to talk with that foul language and saying those things without even having a conviction. And even this, I'm going to share this with you. Some of you don't even have to say it. You're writing it on Facebook. Think of that. Foul language on Facebook. Saying things you shouldn't be saying on Facebook. Or Instagram, whatever. Social media, whatever it is. See, that's not transformation going on in us. 
This is why we share as we share. This is why I talk as we're talking. It's not me. It's the Lord reminding you to really meditate on where your heart is. Think about that. But I want to close with something that the Lord revealed to me. I just think it's just so awesome because it's something that, that you know what, that the Lord wants from all of us. Do you remember, well, in Luke 9.29, as it goes up on the screen, as you see it in your Bibles, what happened before the Lord was transfigured? It says there that He prayed. He prayed. And then He was transfigured. And then the, mortif- the metamorphosis happened. Then the total change happened. But He was praying to His Father in heaven before it happened. You remember Moses? Remember when Moses would hang out with the Lord when he'd go up on that mountaintop and he'd hang out with the Lord? Remember what would happen to him? He'd come back, right? And his face would be radiant and the people were afraid of him. They said, we can't take that Moses. So they put a bag over his face. Why did this happen? Who was he hanging out with? He was hanging out with God. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. See, this is why, and I'll share this with you, and this happens to me all the time. There's an attitude that I may have before I pray, but after I pray, it's completely changed. How many of you have experienced that? It happens. See, if you want transformation in you, you've got to be praying. See, it's so amazing because when we pray, guess who we're hanging out with? Guess whose presence we are in? And He overflows. He comes upon us. And this is what people see. This is why your perspective changes. See, I'm not telling you you have to pray because that's what's going to allow you to get into heaven. And the Lord will never tell you you have to pray. The Lord desires that you pray because He knows exactly what will happen in your life. See, we're free to do as we want to do. But the Lord knows what's best for us. And He gives us a free will to do as we wish. But if you want to experience change, start praying. Start praying. Spend that time with the Lord. Wake up earlier and spend, you know what, time with Him. And I'm not just talking about one single prayer. Okay, Lord, good morning. I'm busy. i got to go. You understand my heart. And you know what? I'll pray with you in the car, but then you forget and you never pray again and your day's gone. I'm talking about spending some time with Him. Experiencing fellowship with Him. Experiencing intimacy with Him. And when you experience this, there is power that comes upon you and through you. Believe me, it happens. It happens. And so now, as we close now, I'm going to share this with you. If you haven't seen that transformation, it comes by believing. It comes when you truly believe in your heart. Believe me, I came to that place when I believed. And when I truly believed, I'll share this with you, and I've shared it with my wife, and it was, it was you know what, I'm going to share something intimate, we, and something that she revealed to me, and I never even knew this. She says, I haven't even shared this with Tony. We were counseling a couple. And she says, you know what? When Tony gave himself to the Lord, I saw something different. I saw something different. 
He wasn't the same anymore. And I knew that because I've always shared with you. This, she just shared with, this with me a week ago as we were counseling. But I've always told you, when I gave myself to the Lord, when I believed, when I said, you know what, Lord, I am surrendering my life to you. I believe in who you are. I'm placing my faith in you. I knew I was changed. I knew it. And I'm not saying everyone's going to have that experience. But you will see the change in you if it's truly a confession. Truly a surrender. You will see it. Trust me. And this is the promise of God. So I'm going to give you now an opportunity as we bow our heads, close our eyes. If there is anyone here, you know who you are. And heaven isn't promised to you if there is no change. There must be transformation because the transformation is done by the Lord Himself if He resides and dwells in you. If He ain't dwelling in you, then He ain't changing you. And if you want change, if you want heaven, if you need the Lord in your life, it's time to come to Him by faith. If there's anybody that wants to say yes to the Lord, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? For those of you that raised your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but believe it in your heart. It all, it's all about believing. And don't let the enemy deceive you after saying that prayer didn't mean a thing. There is power. There is power through confession. There is power when you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord, when you place your faith in Him. And for those that raise their hand, I want you to repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word today. I thank You for revealing to me the change that needs to take place. This only comes as as I heard that I must place my faith in Your Son. I believe this to be the truth. I believe it with my heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I confess my sins to Him. I thank You for Your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, may Your power be evident in my life. May people see me and know that I ain't the same no more because I have you. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.